Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm Sid Usley. This is a mutiny. Raquel was being problematic again, so I used my fifth dimensional gremlin magic and banished her to Wacky Land until she can capture the last dodo. This is a dude's rock podcast now. Fantasy and science fiction have a dialogue problem. You pop on some Star Wars or pick up any book with an elf butt on the cover, and all the dialogue reads like it's playing soccer on stilts. Joining me on a walk down this reality tunnel is returning guest Mario Coelho. For the pre-informed listeners, Mario is a Portuguese SFF writer and also quite handsome. Introduce yourself to the kids at home, Mario. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm glad you started with the fact that I'm handsome, because that's all I got going for me as a writer. I'm Mario. I'm a writer and translator from Portugal. My fiction has appeared and is forthcoming in Strange Horizons, Pseudopod, and The New Southern Fugitives. I'm represented by Stevie Finnegan at Xeno Agency, and uh, I hope she sells my novel soon so I can use this podcast to sell my shit. I eat about 250 grams of cherry tomatoes per day. I'm not an expert in writing dialogue at all, but I think I can sound convincing. So let's do this, yeah. Yep, sounding convincing is about half of it, so. Yeah, exactly. We can get started with a quick definition of fantasy, just to have one. A lot of the taxonomy of what fantasy is or isn't gets really narrow and stupid and, frankly, ahistorical. This is a wide genre where you can do fucking anything that you think of. It's kind of the point. Personally, I'd include stuff like The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, The Phantom Tollbooth, or if you want to get really childish, Harold and the Purple Crayon, alongside stuff like The Three Musketeers, which seems to be the much more dominant mode. In the latter case, like there's a lot more like historical stuff that gets sort of thrown in a lot of the time, but there's a lot more to fantasy than medievalism or just romanticizing some point in the past that's sort of fixed. Nothing inherent to the genre, even when you're doing that, instructs you to write dialogue like you're a waiter at medieval times. <laughs> Do they have any good food at medieval times? It's always fascinated me that you have a restaurant like that. I have not been to one. What do what do you think medieval food is specifically? Like it's going to be a lot of stews, dark beer. It's like beer in flagons or some shit. And like I, I know it's not this, but like if you're getting potatoes or tomatoes there, it's not accurate at all. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, th- those are new world. You have to eat beans and dirt. Yeah, it's going to be like beans and dirt and turnips. <laughs> yeah, a lot of diarrhea and shit. And toilet wine, probably. I think they probably... That, that's been around forever, I would imagine. You know, it was safer, uh, supposedly it was safer in medieval times to drink beer than to drink water, so yeah. That's why they invented beer. Yeah. <laughs> Way back in old-timey Sumerian times. <laughs> in Mesopotamia, probably. Yeah. Even if someone's gonna do, like, medieval fantasy, could they maybe do, like, the late medieval stuff? That's awesome. Like, you know, Black Riders, Star Fortresses, Caracals, Tercios, all that. Like, the Infantry Revolution rules. And when they do medieval fantasy, they mostly mean like a mishmash of Germanic and um, Anglo-Saxon stuff. And, uh, you know, you don't know where one starts, where the other one ends. And like, it's all mixed together, like things from the 1200s to things from the 18th century, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, there, there actually isn't uh, actual medieval fantasy, I think. There's like stuff cosplaying as medieval. Yeah, they'll have rapiers, which are centuries later. Yeah, exactly. And very different, like, in terms of, like, it's not, they don't fit, it, it, it's like the one exception to the, they, they leave out pole arms a lot, and that's just. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah, they're so cool. Like, I mean, D&D gets really anal about them, but, like, they're the only people who do. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's kind of fitting. Yep. But even in that, like, there's a lot more room in it than people think. Like, the second ever D&D game already had a guy play a cowboy. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, no, that like it, it happened. Like that that it, that also happens in Dracula. Like there's a guy who's like, "Fuck you, I'm going to be a cowboy in this like British gothic novel. I'm just a cowboy." And he's the he's the best guy in that whole book. <laughs> Quincy Morris is my boy. I love him like platonically. I've never played D&D, fortunately. I I'm I'm going to start playing soon. I'm going to start playing soon a friend has invited me and uh, my character is going to be a fighter who thinks he's a bard. So, uh, you know, We'll see how I get how that goes. I think I know which one that is. There's like a there's like a whole. I think they're called like. I think it's either like a purple dragon knight or a banneret or something. <laughs> like they have a type of guy for that. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fighter, but a bit more like protagonisted. Yeah. Oh, in this case, the guy is actually just a normal fighter, but the character's convinced he's a bar, so he keeps trying to sing and do like persuasion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love those. That that's, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, and while we're doing these definition things let's just go through a quick definition of dialogue like outer dialogue is when two or more characters say stuff to each other it's a conversation on the other side of the fourth wall most of the time i mean there's probably exceptions but i'm just being quick Mm -hmm. Uh, dialogue is both an ingredient in other storytellings and at times an entire genre unto itself for a vintage example of this dialogue as genre thing i'm on about there's benjamin franklin's dialogue between franklin and the gout (laughs) <laughs> in which benjamin franklin is talking to a personification of gout the character madam gout like it's a whole person but it's like gout but a person nice i imagine she kind of looks like that resident evil lady that everybody's thirsty for nice like if i had to guess yeah it just seems like the look like you know the gout milf yeah i'd go there yeah oh shit yeah. <laughs> i shouldn't say this type of shit yeah this this is a family friendly podcast right i i think so Okay, then uh, I find her aesthetically pleasing in a um, in a correct way. She is very caked up, but we're saying that as respectfully as we can. Yeah, exactly. So Benjamin Franklin is trying to sort of charm his way through this problem by 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 being all well. He's trying to flirt with this this thing, and she's just not having it. She's a sophisticated lady doctor, and she knows the <laughs> foolishness when she sees it, and. She's offering him no quarter unless he follows the device as given. And it's just, they're a bit, at a bit of an impasse. And it's pretty, it, it, it's kind of unresolved at the end too. It's really fascinating. Big ups to my 10th grade English teacher, Mr. Afsai, for showing us that bit of off-curriculum material. Wow. I, I'll make it available in the episode description because it is both a short read and a trip. Nice. Ah, oh, man, that English class was really fun. Uh, I, gotta, I, I gotta tell this story since I don't know when else it'll come up. So I was in that class one day, not not on gout day, on a different day, <laughs> and I'm sitting, like, on one side of me is a cute metalhead chick, and on the other side of me is Barack Obama's nephew. Wow. What does he look like? Uh, tall and handsome. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. God damn it. He was a nice dude. So I'm sitting there, and I farted. <laughs> Very quietly. Like, so in one of those, like, yeah, as one does, like a cat might have heard it, but, but no one. So I'm just sitting there. It's so bad that it has bypassed my own resistance to myself. And it's, it's, this is a war <laughs> crime. This thing it's, it's real bad. And it starts spreading as they do. And it's, it's spreading through the trenches of English class. This dude is the first person who catches it, and he has the natural reaction that as anyone does. He's and it's just and because of that, everybody thought he did it because it, <laughs> it, they thought he was trying to deflect. Yeah. By being the first one to notice. 
and so they proceed to blame uh, he proceeds to get blamed and like everybody's putting their shirts up over their noses they're pushing desks away i'm like guys guys calm down but <laughs> it's too late like it uh mr Abside didn't even stop the hysteria it was just you know the the atoms the atoms of your gas has have been in contact with uh obama indirectly perhaps thought about that yeah like the atoms you the particles of your poop have been in contact with barack obama <laughs> i never thought of that that's so funny. yeah oh that's this that's the that ah oh, that's great i <laughs> yeah and for closure the, the metalhead girl in that anecdote did later cheat on me at a later time so oh damn yeah no, it's, it's karma for the fart <laughs> it is it is. See, this is why you gotta fess up when, when, <laughs> when, when you're busted mustard. Yeah, this is why I don't. This is why I don't fart near my girlfriend or something. Like I've been with my girl for five years and she's only heard me fart once, I think. So yeah. Oh, we weren't we weren't a thing at the time, but it was still like it was before that. Yeah, but you know, foreshadowing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so. Uh, I don't know why I have nostalgia for that, but I do. No, it's a great story. Makes sense. All right, so uh, I gotta ask, uh, Mario, when you were on here last time, you talked about viewing English as a language of performance, and it's gonna be very relevant to this entire discussion. So, can you walk us through that? Okay, let me just gather my thoughts. That's an interesting question to ask me specifically. So, thank you for that. It's the only opportunity I'll have to sound smart. Okay, so there are two parts to that question. Two answers. One, English is a language of performance to me, mostly, because I learned it via entertainment material. For the listeners, it's very obvious due to my sexy accent, but I'm a non-native speaker and uh, I haven't really lived in uh, English-speaking countries for any relevant amount of time. I was, in, I was in Northern Ireland for like four months when I was a student. That's about it. So I learn English the way uh, non-native people who haven't immigrated to an English-speaking country do, which is video games, films, books, etc. And obviously characters in that type of media, in those types of media, don't speak exactly like people do in real life, no matter how naturalistic the work is. So, uh, you know, there's always the this barrier between reality and performance, even more than there is in... Uh, other languages. Well, I guess nowadays there's a bigger influence of social media, not just entertainment. For my generation, it was mostly films and uh, books and etc. I can imagine Gen Y is growing up learning English through memes, which sounds very disturbing to me, but my generation learned English uh, with entertainment stuff. So, to me, English isn't the language that you use to go to the bakery and ask for a loaf of bread. It's the language of conveying fun shit. In that sense, it's very dramatic compared to Portuguese. You know, I, I actually think I switch personality when I, you know, when I speak English, I'm someone else. When I speak Portuguese, I'm somebody else. I think I'm much less insufferable in Portuguese, actually. Because, uh, yeah, usually uh, the Brits and the, well, Brits, okay, but Americans don't usually like me when they meet me face to face. So I'm clearly doing something wrong when I speak English. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ah, that's fun. And now, actually, that, that reminds me of, if I can may, may make insight, um, that reminds me of something else, which is probably more appropriate for another episode, but um, when you learn English as a second language, you're not necessarily learning the culture, you're just learning the, you know, the linguistics of it. So, I'm fluent in English, uh, like, I can speak, and, well, I write better than I speak, for the listeners out there, don't get scared, but... Um, yeah, he's really good. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, I both write and speak English uh, fluently, but I'm not fluent in the culture. Like I am superficially, but like when you when you live in America, I guess there are all these things that I don't know. And when when somebody sees that you can speak English, they expect you, and it's normal, everybody does this, they expect you to know the cultural nuances of your big-ass country, which I don't. So this is especially intimidating when I'm doom-scrolling on Twitter or something, and uh, always afraid of failing one of the many invisible rules. So yeah, you know, but that's an aside. Okay, so for the second part of your question, and I'm going to contradict myself a bit, I think English is a language of performance not only to me and a native speaker, but also to you, to English people, to Anglophones in general. Because uh, non-native non-native people, uh, non-native speakers like me, mostly consume English language entertainment because our countries suck in that sense and we don't have national entertainment. Every, everything's in English. We watch English films, we watch, uh, we read stuff translated from English, etc, etc. And you also consume that shit. It's gonna influence you too, even if you're not a, even if you're a native speaker. The way people speak in movies and etc. The it's gonna influence you too. The language you see in a film and the language you speak in the streets is the same, and it's not the same to me. Like uh, I don't speak English in my day to day life, so I can't overstate how weird it is to me as a Portuguese person uh, who barely consumes any audiovisual material in my own language. That that to you guys it's the same shit. The border between performance and communication is hazier, which is probably why Americans are also. And uh, yeah, that's it. Not sure if I answered the question. I was rambling there for a bit, but uh, yeah. That's a pretty good answer. It's got it's got steps and stuff. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Oh yeah, there's um. Oh no, I spaced it. Uh, I'll, I'm gonna space back in. Let's take a gander at some of the main problems facing fantasy type writers when trying to write dialogue. Now. Yeah. First bear trap anyone steps on when writing fantasy or sci-fi is the same problem they've always had, which is stilted fucking language. So we can start. Yeah. I got a quick anecdote again. This one does not contain farts. <laughs> so uh, a while ago, I had this experience once playing Magic the Gathering at one of those local type shops. So I'm wearing sports goggles on my head like I'm the main boy in a Digimon cartoon. They had my glasses prescription in them and I didn't know where my glasses were <laughs> that day. So I'm just wearing goggles, looking cool. And one of the beardos in the store walks up to the counter and inquires about the Gerard Goods selection in a bit of a put-on accent that it's like, it's unclear if it's supposed to be like pirate voice or... Oh, I can imagine. What is this? And nobody knows what the fuck he's on about. And apparently, when when pressed on it, it's like he was trying to order a ginger ale. And the the explanation (laughs) that he offered is, I was trying to be steampunk. (laughs) (laughs) This is an adult man trying to explain to a teenage boy with goggles on his head what steampunk is. I'm being gatekept when I have goggles on my head. <laughs> How did that happen to me? What was that, uh, What was his accent like? Like uh, I can't I can't do the British accent. Uh, obviously, I can barely do an American accent. I uh, it wasn't even good. It was just like a bit of a I don't even know what to call it. I, it it was so long ago, but it was. Did it sound? It was not his speaking voice. Did it sound like, ooh, like this, kind of? A bit of one of those, yeah, like, but it was just, yes. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, like a vintage, <laughs> late 19th century mustache times voice. Oh, nice. Like one of those. Like right when they invented the wax cylinder. But yeah, yeah, you got you got a point that, uh, yeah, stiltedness, yeah, is one of the main issues. Yeah, and, and that is how a lot of fantasy dialogue reads when when they're when people phone it in yep like 
I know. Actually, I think that we can circle back to the whole performance thing. You can't depend on how you speak on your day-to-day life as much when you're writing secondary world fantasy, for instance. So, yeah. So, I guess that's why writers fall into these traps and um, oh, yeah. start writing weird shit. Like, they don't want to use modern idioms and etc. So, they just go all in on the opposite direction and it ends up sounding like shit. Yeah, it sounds like a really bad Shakespeare in the park or something. Yeah. Yeah, like bad cosplay, yeah. Yeah, like it's like a, such an av- aversion to natural speech that you end up just... It's way more immersion-breaking than some guy saying, dude, which is, in fact, a, a word that is a few centuries old. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I remember in, when I tried writing fantasy the first time in high school, it my, my like theater class home dialogue turned to poop because it was like... <laughs> Like, I forgot how somehow from just because I was trying to write in that genre and it was just what, and I was like, oh, they write it this way. And it's just, no, my first instincts uh, were were correct. I don't know why I, I steered away from that. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be done with a couple books by now if I hadn't had that <laughs> thing trip me up for years. Oh, man. A lot of writers end up trying to read like, like Tolkien, but, you know, Johnny Ronnie Rules over there was born in the 19th century in England. And who alive now was... You know, I think you're the first person I've ever heard pronounce Tolkien correctly, actually. Tolkien? Yeah, no, I don't know what, like, what do they usually say? Um, I, I, I say it myself, I say Tolkien, and, uh, but yeah, it's Tolkien, um. Yeah, that's why it's got the, like, I the, only learned that, like, a year ago. Yeah, no, that's why it's got the two vowels in there, in that order, it's like a... But yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, that's... I kind of miss that one being obscure. Like, that's one of those things that it... <laughs> I... I didn't really care for it before. Don't worry, I, I still I still say Tolkien. I, I don't say Tolkien, I say Tolkien because uh, people don't know what I'm talking about if I say it correctly. Yeah, like, you gotta use the modes of language you're fluent in, and the audience is gonna reward that yeah. fluency a lot more than they want everything with wizard titties in it to sound like a World of Warcraft cutscene. <laughs> like, um, Tolkien had a version of this trick, uh, the old pulps used telepathy for it. There's always some variation on what Hitchhiker's Guide called the Babblefish. There's like a quick little reassurance in the story that it's so removed from context that it's in another language, but it's been translated for you, the reader, so stop thinking about it, please. And let, let me just do my job. Ah, uh, you know, that, that pisses me off a bit, because uh, when, you, when you're watching, there aren't many of them, but when you're watching a, like a fantasy film and it's not in English, a lot of people go like, Romans didn't speak German, well, they didn't speak English either, so, you know, it's huge double standard, pisses me off. Anytime you see Martians in something, and they're speaking anything besides Italian, it's not real, because as we all know... <laughs> you know, Mars, Italy, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no, they both got canals. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare, like, anything he wrote that's said in Italy is used in the same way that, like, pulp guys used Mars. <laughs> it's just, like, a place you've heard of but is far away and none of you know enough about to correct me. Yeah. That's just what that is. Yeah, like, I think that approach, like, where you explicitly know you're sort of... We could bring that back, like, approaching a fantasy novel as though you're translating a manuscript from whatever language they're actually speaking oh, in, in, in the setting. Yep. Yeah, it's a good approach. When you're approaching dialogue, like, what's your, what do you have, like, if you're translating it, what's what's your go-to little tips and tricks for that? Well, it's really going to depend on the source text, like the, the material I have to translate. In translated lingo, it depends if I want a documental translation. I think that's the, I think that's the English for documental or documentary, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it depends if I want a documental translation, which means a translation that is supposed to be read as a translation, as faithful to the original content as possible. Or if I want an instrumental translation, which 
is trying to imitate the purpose of the original text and not necessarily transposing the material 100%. In fiction, we usually do instrumental translations because, you know, it's entertainment. You're trying to entertain the person. You're not trying to teach them the nuances of the world building or some shit. So, um, yeah, you're translating entertainment. You're trying to entertain somebody. But yeah, it really depends on each book. Like, for instance, in primary world fantasy, like if it's, um, if I translated those horrible books by, um, I forgot his name. The the wizard dude in Chicago. I hate those books. I even forgot about it. Harry Dresden? Dresden Files? Yeah, Dresden. Ah, oh, damn. I shouldn't. I shouldn't shit talk other authors now that I'm authors now that I'm a professional. But yeah, I don't like those books at all. Um, if I was translating that, I'd have to keep the American stuff in because you know it's said in America. So in that case, yeah, I just. Both for dialogue and for other shit, I just try to say as faithful as possible. Puns suck to translate. Like, there's no there's no way you can translate a pun. But, like, cultural references, you can get around it. Since the, the average reader knows enough about America that you don't have to adapt it 100%. So, you know, in that case, I'm, I just stay faithful to the source text. But, like, if I'm translating a secondary world fantasy and say it, that it's a fantasy version of Welsh culture, I'd probably try and find an equally nonsensical cultural equivalent in Portuguese. I hope we don't have any Welsh listeners, by the way. But, uh, but yeah, that, um, that'd be my approach. You just um, try to find an equivalent or just make one up in case there, there isn't an equivalent. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, like any other kind of translation. Unfortunately, I know it's not a very interesting question, uh, very interesting answer, but... Um, oh, no, it is. I think so, anyway. So, yeah, just, try, just trying to make it sound natural. There, there are opportunities. Like, sometimes when you're translating dialogue, there are... Th- Things you can add, like um, things that the English ang- English uh, English language can't do. So and you can do it in Portuguese. So you can add some stuff. Like it's hard to explain what I mean because obviously the you know people don't speak Portuguese. Like for instance, suffixation in Portuguese is very strong. Like uh, you can do a lot of shit just by adding a little ending to certain words. Uh, let me give you an example. Like um, the word for tiger say you know tiger is tigre in portuguese if you want to say little tiger in english you say little tiger use the adjective little then you add tiger little tiger if you in portuguese you can do that by adding a a suffix so you can say instead of tigre you can say tigrezinho like zinho is the diminutive ending and we have dozens of them so you can do that to augment you can say like big tiger you can say tigrezão or tigrão or some shit Sometimes you can add stuff that makes the the sentence in Portuguese sound more natural than the sentence in English does to the original reader. And obviously there, there's the opposite. Like, we can't do compound words as easily in Portuguese, so when those show up, it fucking sucks. It's a question of, depending on how confident the translator is, you can improve upon the original dialogue if you insert, if you know, if you use your own language, like the advantages of your own language. And obviously this goes for any language. Every, every language has its advantages and stuff, so yeah. Yeah, I was watching some anime a little while ago, as, as some people do, and it's this one <laughs> called My First Girlfriend is a Gal, which that last word's a bit of English, doesn't quite have a word for gyaru, which is a very specific kind of subculture oh, of yeah. affected blonde ditziness. Did you use gal in American English, by the way? Yeah, that's about the closest we have. Yeah, I'll use it, okay. Yeah. But um, in there, like, it has... They hired some people who were under 30 for that translation of the dialogue because it sounds very modern. Yeah. In a way that I was, like, pleasantly surprised by them, like, not only do they have people calling each other cucks, they're doing it correctly. <laughs> Which I don't know if they were doing in the Japanese, but it's like... 
<laughs> it has accurate use of contemporary slang. <laughs> you know the the translation that impresses me the most is uh, likely from the so- from software games. Uh, I actually think they might have just plain written it in English at the same time as it did in Japanese, because that's just way too good. Like Bloodborne and Dark Souls, etc., and especially Bloodborne, they're just really good translations. Like, uh, it just sounds... You know, people forget that those games are Japanese, and um, it just sounds perfect in English. Like, especially Bloodborne, like, they made it 100% Victorian goodies, and it's just so great. That, yeah, they sound pretty fun. Like, I just never got the chance to try them out. There's also this one kind of translation that can happen in sort of a disaster situation where you got to just make the best of it with like some kind of it's instrumental and then some. So back in the in, in the early times, like Saban got the rights to this thing that I'm forgetting its original Japanese name, but is infamously known in the West because they had to like they didn't have the scripts. They just had the video footage. And I don't think I don't think any of them spoke Japanese so much. Uh, it was this cartoon <laughs> that uh, once reconfigured by guys looking at the footage and then making shit up. Oh, that's ghost stories. There's ghost stories, and the even more one is Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh, nice. Oh, I love it when they do that. Like, the, you know, they did that in the Portuguese version of the Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah, I've heard I've heard of that. Is that the name, Dragon Ball? Yeah, like, we don't have a... We didn't have a, um, the Japanese scripts, and no Japanese translators, so they used the French translation, the French script, but it, apparently it just sucked. <laughs> Yeah, so they just made it up like the Portuguese translation of Dragon Ball. If you ever come here, like if you if you start singing any Dragon Ball theme song on the streets, everybody will join you. Like, like uh, the whole country is just crazy for Dragon Ball because of the translation. Because they just they just went all in. Like they they ad libbed a lot of shit. Like just they just added all these characters who don't matter at all, making jokes about Portuguese culture and uh, making cultural references, and it's just so great. Uh, it's yeah, it's perfect. So yeah. That's one case where the the translation like completely changed the the you know the material and it just it went perfect. I like I think one of the things we can take away is that sometimes accuracy outside of some specific contexts is overrated even. Oh no, it is. Like uh, when you when you when you're a neophyte, is that one neophyte? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's no, correct pronunciation. When you're a, a newbie translator, you care a lot about accuracy. Like that that's your main priority. And obviously accuracy is still very very important but when you gain more confidence eventually you just start going you know but this sounds better this way i know i'm deviating a little bit from the source but like when you think about it an author is trying to entertain the reader and most authors will prefer if you translate it in a way that the reader enjoys it simply like they 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 wrote it for people to enjoy it so like if it's a joke and a joke doesn't work in portuguese they would rather you make your own joke i don't know how well i would translate literally i might be a nightmare you've read me your writing would be a nightmare to translate literally (laughs) yeah so it's like someone would have to just start yeah you'd have to go kind of like all right like how do i make this sound this way in the other language from a perspective of all right i gotta affect this voice in another language but past that very few of these words need to come with me yeah yeah we we don't get paid enough that's why i don't do literary translation anymore i just do boring jobs for and i shouldn't even be talking about them because i got an nda fuck i don't think i think you're allowed to mention it but as long as you don't like oh i actually i'm actually not but uh oh shit nobody's gonna care all right no it's fine like you don't even have to cut it i'm uh, living on the edge don't worry about it the the verisimilitude or the more less pretentious word for that the um ah crap i forgot what verisimilitude means i just know how to use it correctly you know yeah sounding real in that context thank you 
but it's always gonna be much more broken by stilt stiltedness and artifice that has not hidden itself correctly than with like vernacular vernacular familiar kind of language like the highest art is being understood mm -hmm. so you know if you want to write good you need to communicate clearly in your dialogue like that's the first step of getting this getting it right so like instead of fucking up a cockney accent if you're an american writer like you're writing in american english you can have your roguish guy talk like a tri-state douchebag like you know sound like he's from the sopranos and because then everybody will get that context <laughs> In the same way that for, like, an English yep. audience, one of those less posh accents works for them, like, one of the non-rotics works over here for the same kind of, like, oh, this guy's rough and, and up to something. I guess we're going to mention uh, Sanderson later in this podcast, since uh, we, you know, and I know it's tradition to dunk on Sanderson, but uh, that reminds me of, um, on the on the Stormlight books, uh, you know, Sanderson's a, a big-time um, Mormon, and, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to use swear words or uh, sexual content or anything in his books. For swearing, in, a, in his Stormlight novels, he invented the adverb storming, like, instead of fucking storming and storm like instead of fuck they say storm because the you know the the world is being ravaged by these big ass storms who destroy everything and kill everybody and some shit i actually haven't read the books yet but i thought it was interesting like uh, i wouldn't do that it sounds a bit cringe to me but it's you know it's a it's an interesting approach because it does sound natural like storm storming and oh yeah now if you ever watch any of the nickelodeon live action sitcoms from the now correctly disgraced dan schneider like a Schneider, Schneider's Bakery show of any kind. <laughs> like, especially the ones in, like, the aughts and that little bit in the new tens. They have a whole method of mm -hmm. filling in things that are swears with stuff that flows the same way. So you get the context. Like, hey, man, I gotta go take a waz. <laughs> Where, like, you've technically, you're technically obeying network rules, but you're still swearing. Because everybody knows what you meant. You know, in a, uh, have you, uh, do you watch... Um... Uh, Adventure Time. Oh, I love Adventure Time so much. There's this scene where the... Um, God, I forgot the name of the dude, like the protagonist is. Oh, it's Finn. Fuck. Yeah, Finn. There's this scene where... No, actually, it isn't Finn. Some some other character's rolling down a hill, like he fell, and he's rolling down a hill, and uh, you can hear him mutter, Fuck! <laughs> like, uh, it's in the... I'm not sure... Like, they added... It's very discreetly. <sighs> I'm not sure if it was fucking English version, but I think it was. Like, in Portuguese, they added, Caralho! Caralho is like the, a big swear word. Like, it means fuck, basically. But they <laughs> they were careful enough to add that in also. Oh, that's, so, that's yeah. great. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, the, the people are more used to the, them saying stuff like algebraic when they're really happy. I'm glad that somebody slipped a swear in there somewhere. Yeah, oh, it's hilarious. And like all the translators also slipped in that later too. So it that's, was great. That's awesome. Like, I don't know. No, but at some point, you, you, I think the translators might realize nobody's paying attention to what they do. So you can just start getting away with stuff? Oh, no, for sure. Like, they just sort of rubber stamp it. For sure. I do that much. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you can get a little... You can sneak some stuff in. Yeah, I do that a lot. Like, in my... When I'm bored, sometimes I just add uh, sexual innuendos and stuff. Like, they're, you know, discreet enough that I have a plausible deniability. But, yeah. That's actually, like, how my writing style developed was I started doing, like, swears and jokes in my school essays and trying to see if I got caught. <laughs> and yeah. it took my history teacher like a year and a half to find out that I'd been doing it. <laughs> and he was like, why is the word fuck in the middle of this? And I'm just like, it fits the sentence grammatically. And he's like, all right, fair. <laughs> Mr. Matt was the best. <laughs> uh. 
No, my my teachers didn't like me. My my history teacher called me a son of a whore. Oh, oh, that's intense. Once, because uh, she was she, I don't remember exactly what was happening, but she was uh busting my balls for something, and I was very very pissed off that day because I I had a you know I had a rough day at home, and uh, so I got out and I said something like you know in my teenage my teenage drama that I I went like I'm tired of this shit, and then I got out and I uh, slammed the door. And she, she's this, you know, this uh, posh old lady. And she was like, that son of a whore. <laughs> and my, my friends, yeah. My friends were all like, whoa, it's a bit much. And, um, and she said something like, I, it's, it's hard to translate it. But she's like, oh, yeah, that fucking dumb kid. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I got, I, I got my teachers yeah. very frequently Fuck. mad with my antics all the time. Yeah, I was a. I was a dumb kid. I just couldn't sit still in a way that extended to, like, even if I'm trying to behave, sometimes something just will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, ADHD life. I, I got, I swear, one time in French class, I put a paper bag on my head and started calling myself Paper Bag Man and would only answer to it. <laughs> Amazing. The, tec- the technicality on which I got the detention was that I did not do so en français, which, <laughs> fair. But the thing that happened was it was it, it was so early in the school year that it wasn't a school detention. Like we were just everybody who got detention had to do it in her class, which was not how that school did it. Yeah, there was nobody to take us home after. But like my friend who also got detention, his dad was there, and his dad got us got us ice cream <laughs> for being good boys and going to detention. Uh, I was I was a problem kid. Same, so much. But I just. I love it when you get rewarded for bad behavior because <laughs> you did it in a funny way. <laughs> that's the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I ended up here, honestly. Just trying to see what I could get away with. That's how I got funny. <laughs> like, the adversity of what happens if you fail kind of forces you to not half-ass it. Yep. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. Like, the stakes are still low enough that it's not so bad, but it's like, oh, I could get detention if this joke doesn't land, so let's make sure it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you notice how in, like, a historical thing, no matter when or where it is set, everybody is British in history, apparently. Yeah. Like, they're always, they've all, it's, it's like, all British guys, no matter where it is, which just stops making sense very fast. <laughs> you know, the Dragon Age uh, games do that, like, a. Actually, no, they don't. That they 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 fix that. Like they they have a, the American accent in the in a lot of their characters, and I think it works fine. It'll be in Al Andalus or somewhere else where it just wouldn't be an English accent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it kind of makes sense when it's a British production because that's who they have. Yep. But it's everywhere. Yep. Like audiences are fine with being spoken to in a way they understand. Like Shrek. Yeah, like Shrek is very legible to the audience who watched it. It's celebrating twenty years today. Still riding high. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that makes you feel old. Yeah, it does. Jesus. I thought it was like, came out 10 years ago or something. Fuck. No, you can kind of, it's, it, this might be one of those local things, but like, you can tell that it's from when it's from, because they were putting, um, that one Smash to Mouth song in fucking everything at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the Red Race film also. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah, Smash Mouth's in that. They have a history before selling out. Like, it's not just them cashing in. <laughs> Randy Newman, even more so. Like, he was kind of the Bo Burnham of his era for a while before he became, like, the... Yep. Guy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that very badly. But you, you know the thing I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give me just one second. My roommates are basically screaming, and I gotta tell them to shut up, or it's gonna leak into the audio. One second. All right. 
Okay, I'm back. Sorry, my roommate decided to sing opera while cooking. Yeah, I'm just afraid it would leak into the audio. But yeah, okay, we're good. Okay, so where were we? We're actually right at the perfect time for a segue into the next next part of this. Oh, so perfect. let's move on. A new threat from beyond the veil threatens the crystal spheres of fantasy. Whispering along on cathode rays into the hearts and minds of man-children and fangirls. The tongue of treachery. Soy banter. <laughs> this is a newer problem. Th- this is going to be a fun subject. This is a newer problem, and but it's fucking everywhere now. It's just so... Ah. Like, for the unfamiliar, soy banter is the podcaster term for Whedon-esque quippiness. It's got a very particular way of it. It's a lot of guys sort of picking a word and then pretending it doesn't exist, but then still using it in dialogue to make it much longer. <laughs> like, that's more like the basic thing is you'll take like a word. I'm not even trying to think of an example. And then you can't use the word, but you have to still put it in the context. So it's it's made up of like, it'll become a phrase it's like essay padding where instead of describing a yeah like instead of describing a port no yeah i get what you mean like it it, it turns into you know that place with the boats <laughs> and, and the beach and the trading and all that shit but not even that fun like it's a very like they'll find the most insipid way that like a 13 year old would say it and then whoever is there that is not a child being put on the spot still speaks as one like, there's times for that writing trick, but it's sparing. You know, I think part of the problem is that, um, I don't want to sound offensive to ADHD people, but I have to use a comparison. Like, there's this sort of... I got it. Yeah, yeah, you're covered. Okay, good. Yeah, I got uh, your your permission. Thank you. And my own, to be fair. You uh, you got this, the the, the artist, uh, the creators are afraid of losing the, the audience's attention. Like, because uh, everybody's got, like, really short attention spans nowadays, so... A hundred percent of the um, of the material has to be entertaining, and that means that there's no setup. And if there's no setup, it doesn't sound natural. And you know, you know what I mean. So, uh, so I think that's part of the reason for creepy culture and uh, all this creepy writing we see in the MCU movies and etc. And that sucks because uh, you know you can't have a hundred percent creepy dialogue and tension. You have to choose one. Like the the MCU mo- films do that a lot, and it pisses me off. Like they have this really dramatic moment. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm actually feeling something. Thank you for touching my feelings, MCU. And then, like, the 10 seconds later, they're making jokes again. Like, they, they just don't... It's either, like, they're not confident enough in their emotional chops, or they just are really afraid of losing their audience because they think everybody's, like, watching the film with a smartphone on their hands or something. Which, I do know a girl does that, so, you know, maybe, maybe they actually have a point. But yeah, I think that's part of the reason why we have the quippy dialogue. Like, there's ways to do it. It's not in, like, as a form, beyond that style of it, it is very, it can be very good. You need to know what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Just, it sucks that it's now the way of writing, yeah. I know how to do, I can write banter. It's one of the things I'm really good at, but yeah, I have different setup, like. Yeah, you do. I know to differentiate the characters, and part of the fun of it is. Mm-hmm. Like, the pleasant, like, the beats themselves can be part of the art. Like, the back and forth, the ebb and flow, mm-hmm. like, you know, the clang of the pirate halves in that. Like, it, it's fun to watch. Like, that's the thing that you yeah. gotta do. It's more about, like, the beauty of it in an aesthetic term. And also, like, yeah, like, uh, if you ever watch, like, old 30s com- screwball comedies, like, they knew how to do this. Much better. Yeah. Or if you want something recent, yeah. it's like, the Gilmore Girls kind of pulls this off better. 
from what I've from the little bits I've I've seen of it. Yeah. Like I, I don't remember anybody's names. I've just seen a few minutes of it here and there. I think another another reason for that another reason for that. Well, fortunately, I don't think it's that uh, mainstream. In, well, it is mainstream, but I don't think it completely rules fiction. As in, um, I think we do have a lot of variety in dialogue still in fiction. Like in books, but uh, you know, it's the it's the rule for uh, blockbusters, obviously, which sucks. And it's spread, it's spreading, like it it's 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 coming in. It's a problem of tone, also, because you know, since um, the wholesome found family, everybody's a nice person uh, tone is uh, popular nowadays, and I'm fine with that. Like, uh, I really like Becky Chambers, for instance, and she writes 100% in that tone. But uh, it's not what I write, it's not what I like to write, and it's not what I prefer to read. But you, it can be. Can be well done, but um, I think it's that's part of the reason. You know, everything's so wholesome. You need a, a story still needs conflict, but the conflict is in quips or something like very um, half-hearted, busting somebody's chop. Yeah. If you're gonna do it, you have to have the characters with some teeth at each other if they're mad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, because it, as it stands, it just sounds like the characters are performing. Like it sounds like you're. you're the characters are aware that they're in a book or something, so I don't like it. I think that's point. And not in a particularly fun way. Like, they're not doing anything with it. It's just kind of, like, the most insufferable of the 90s era self-aware horror <laughs> kind of thing. Like, th- I, I, that, I, I find it kind of funny that, like, people bitch about the splattery horror that was in the aughts. Like, they're like, oh, look at all this mm-hmm. torture porn with, like, Saw and Hostel and Centipede. And it's like, do you know what this replaced? Do you, do you people know what this replaced? <laughs> Thank fuck. Like, even if that stuff's a little trite in its own way, where it's like, okay, I got my raincoat on, let's do this. But at least that's, like, connected to Viscera in a way that can be understood with some amount of... Amp- like, it, yeah. it has a catharsis in it, instead of just this tedious undercutting from... I think horror... Horror films improved a lot in many senses, actually, like uh, dialogue included. Yeah, they're they're really good now. They've gotten they've they've sorted it. It it it'll eventually shift to something again, but like they've got a good recipe right now. Yeah, like with the A twenty four productions, etc. They got a yeah pretty good niche. Yeah, I mean the only A twenty four movie I saw was Eighth Grade, but that was fucking great. So no, you, I think you'd love all of them. Like uh, I love them so much. It's Midsummer, it's brilliant. Well, they're all brilliant to be fair. But, yeah. Yeah, I liked the, um, I, I did, we, we did watch the, both Wicker Man's back-to-back once, and it's very different. I, wa- I only watched the Nicolas Cage remake, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you gotta watch the first one, it's so good. Like, it's a legitimate, you'll understand, like, it's... Yeah, yeah, I believe that. I, I don't like the guy who directed the Nicolas Cage one at all, for other reasons, on top of, of that movie. No, the Nicolas Cage film is trash. I, I enjoy it because I like Nicolas Cage dressed as a bear punching people in the face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's it's got... It's a watchable bad movie, which, like, I, I'm not totally... Not every so-bad-it's-good thing is actually, like, that for me. Like, if anybody ever asks me to watch Birdemic again, they're getting clocked. That shit, that shit's just un... I, I don't, I don't <laughs> even like it when it's Hitchcock, so I don't want to see this suck on top of already... <laughs> despising the birds as a concept i just do not care do not care for the short story daphne what's her name just i have not read her other work because i did not like the birds that much just an awful first impression yeah and i should be an easy lay for the premise and i just bounce right off of it so but it's just do not care for it i i that's a moment of sincere like i don't like this premise i did write a story that has like murder ostriches in it but it's set up a bit differently so, like, it's a lot more, like, Animal Farm, but just the fun parts when I did it. 
Like, there's no betrayal or, like, you know, the pigs being people at the end kind of thing. It's just, nope, we won. And, and we sold the humans to the sausage factory, and it's all fine. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Oh, God, I gotta get back to this before I'm... <laughs> but, like, you know, if you ever read any Sam Sykes books or any uh, Sam Sykes type, honestly, like that whole him, Mike Cole... I mean, Chuck Wendig is just, like, the worst of them at actual prose, but his habits exist beyond him. Well, out of Chuck Wendig, yeah. I've only read his, um... I think that's Chuck Wendig. This isn't, like, the, the, the terrible essay on porn. Oh! Is that Wendig's? Probably. A lot of his nonfiction writing is very... I think it is. Yeah, it is Wendix. It's horny from, like, the last person you'd want to hear about anything from. Ugh, I don't... You know, I don't know why that uh, essay disturbs me so much, but it sounds like a love letter to porn. And, you know, like, we've spoken before that I think uh, porn is uh, not necessarily good for your brain, so... I don't even... it. He's doing this thing of, like, I don't like these porn girls. I like... Yeah, exactly. This is way more sexist than any straightforward, like, oh, yeah, porn aesthetic. No, yeah, yeah, precisely. Thing, because he's trying to be better than it. Yeah, precisely. But he's just a different kind of... Yeah, you nailed it. That's the... Uh, I didn't know why it was bothering me, but I think that's it. Like, uh, it, trying to sound like a guy who doesn't watch porn while watching porn. Like, real girls don't have spray tans type shit, but it's... It, but not even just that presented straight. It's like through the most... Yeah, it's it just sounds like, uh, you know, mention Whedon, and it sounds like that, that kind of uh, Fox feminism, like, trying to get... Oh, yeah, no, but like, the, the Chuck Wendig thing, it, it's not... He can't just say it normally. It's gotta be like, Fizzle DD, she bought those double D's. Like, just the most. Like, he almost sounds like a fucking, like, a goblin in a story or something. It's Yeah, I, should, I shouldn't I shouldn't be shitting on other writers. He's friends with enough sex pests that it's fair game. So, that's, I feel like that's the rule. <laughs> if you know, if you're friends with at least two, we can make fun of you. Like, it's, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> uh, that whole thing was a fuck. It it really feels like a when, not an if, with Wendig. Just it's a vibe. I never read any of his books. I, I was interested in the Wanderers. I like the premise. I like the premise, but uh, no, I haven't. I haven't read it. Nothing. I'm not sure if he's bad. You know, you say he's bad. I believe you, but uh, I haven't read um, neither Sam Sykes or Michael or Chuck Wendig. I know that the trio that often gets mentioned. I haven't read any of them. They're not my thing. Like, uh, they're just not my not my tone. I have read Sykes, and it's not that bad, but it's still it's like of the three of them, I I'd have to see some Cole to be like sure. Sam Sykes at least had his mom teach him how to not be a complete embarrassment in bros. I mean, even the pen name kind of hides it, but <laughs> like they don't do any study before doing the style. Like, I think that might be why I end up doing... I might end up... I might be the exact thing they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. But, like, I studied how comedy works by actually being... Like, I was a huge comedy nerd for a while. Devil's Advocate? Ah, oh, damn, I know the expression Devil's Advocate's offensive nowadays, isn't it? Uh, okay, so equivalent expression to Devil's Advocate. But, I mean, they must be doing something wrong because um, they have a lot of... You know, they have a lot of readers and, you know, in film, like a... The MCU films they work so I guess sometimes I think the problem with the us writers sometimes is that when we we can fall into this trap of writing for other writers and uh, you know readers aren't 
on average, they won't be writers. And, um, you know, I think, you know, as long as it works, it's fine. Like, I know maybe I'm too wholesome or something, but um, I don't like the quippy thing we're talking about. Like, I don't like it personally as a, you know, as a reader or as a writer. But, you know, they it works, I guess. The only thing that really pisses me off, though, is um, the cavalcade of nostalgia porn that... Uh, oh, yeah, that's even kind of like... Many of them do, like the... Worse... Yeah, that pisses me off more because it just reeks of, you know, a, a capitalist super intelligence producing shit en masse. And um, that pisses me off more than a quippy dialogue. Because at least with the quips, etc., you can be original. Like, you can just write original shit. But, like, when, you, when your writing is just references to other shit that was already done, that's what I hate the most. Like, fuck. That's why I hate, uh, what, what's the Ernest Klein film? Like the... Ready Player One. Ready Player One. I think that's the worst thing that has ever existed in the history of mankind. Now they're doing the same with um, those Space Jam movies. They're doing the same now, like the, all these big companies flexing all the intellectual properties. Bah. There are moments where it can work. If you ever watch the Lego movies, you're, it'll be like, oh shit, they actually figured out how to do that. Yeah, the Lego movie is well done. Exactly, it works in that sense, but, um... Yeah, no, like, you gotta actually still do the work, that's the thing. It, yeah, it can be well done. The Lego movies are fun, they're fun, period. Like, the, they don't depend on that, like, that's a, a bonus. But, like, when the, when the humor is, oh, look at this, we have this. Like, Ready Player One's basically that, it's like a list of cameos, like a... Oh, yeah, it's like uh, one of those Family Guy gags that's, like, the weak one where it's just like, hey, remember this thing from the 80s, dude? I mean, I, I didn't do the... I'm from Rhode Island and for some reason just completely did not do the correct voice for that. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm from... I know the references. It's the... I I guess I'm, I'm, I'm also extra sensitive to that because being a, a non-80 speaker, you get all these references that I have no nostalgia for. Like, a, like yeah, I don't think you guys got they got Thundercats over there or anything, so... I think we do. It's not, it wasn't a big thing. Like my my roommate's uh, obsessed with Thundercats for some reason. <laughs> maybe maybe he's a, I think he's just a furry to be fair. But um, yeah, he he might just want to bang Chitara. Yeah, I think I think that's it. To be fair, I think it's just secretly a furry. No problem with furries here. Uh, furries are cool. Oh yeah, they're cool. But uh, I think it's in a closet, like a furry in the closet. I wonder if they have their own term for that. Let's not speculate because that that could end badly. But <laughs> yeah. These dudes also don't know how to swear at all. And it's not like, I mean, that one I'll even extend to a fair amount of, that one's not a uniquely male problem in the genre. Like, it might even be, like, this this mode of writing when done by women might even be worse with it a little. Like, I don't want to be too mean, but that, like, George R.R. R. Martin can fuck <laughs> off into the sun as it does not know how to cuss at all. It's so, and I, and, and people can hear me. Have you guys done? Have you guys done an episode on that, or are you gonna do an episode on that? I don't know, but <laughs> that'd be a good subject. It'd be fun to at least riff on for like twenty minutes, but it's just I don't actually have a yeah. You know, as a as an aside, also off topic. I think it's rude, but you know, again, this is me as a foreigner. Like my my concept of what's rude is different because we we're all very nice and polite over here but uh you know just the title i think it's rude especially because martin lost a couple friends this year like to covid yeah like if, if you a friend told me that a few of his friends died because he knows he knows george yeah, martin and so i, th I think it's true like I, I'm, I'm not a fan like uh but yeah I, my problem my biggest problem with yes is that it's uh, just not very well written and this should be topic for an episode is that the, the yugos are starting to look like the oscars in that they the oscars you know uh, award films about films and the yugos are starting to award essays and i'm you know i'm doing air quotes here essays about uh the yugos yeah that's 
So it just sounds very masturbatory. It's not, the, like, the thing about it is, like, I... Like, there's a lot of shit happening out there in the world, like, important shit. I could go on all day, but it's, like, it's just not... Uh, it's, like, I don't even mind the whole... No, the content, the, the you know, the author has a point. They have a point, like, it's not, um... Oh, I don't even... It's, like, it... It's argued badly. I mean, I'm down with, like, just dunking on old dudes for fun. Like, I'm not even... I don't even mind that it's incendiary and rude. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mind that it's done badly. That's my my, my entire complaint. Oh, yeah. I mind, I mind the incendiary a little bit. I mind the incendiary a little bit because it makes it, to me, it makes it sound like it's not as honest. You know, it's a publicity stunt, almost. Oh, yeah. It's very performative. You know, Martin Martin fucked up over there with, what, you know, the mispronouncing everything, etc. I'm not, I'm not a... Yeah, but uh, you know you can, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be punitive like the I've I've mentioned this before but uh, American culture even progressive people just seem to have a weirdly punitive view on justice like you fuck up you need to get hurt in response if you hurt somebody you deserve to get hurt like it's not a it's not a, a view of justice that's restorative or particularly progressive and I think uh, the view on justice seems weirdly conservative among uh, progressive Americans. And I think this is uh, one of those instances. You're, you're not wrong. Yeah, no, I, I know I know that, uh, you know, but this is an uncomfortable subject and obviously I haven't I haven't made my mind 100% either, but, uh, you know, that's just my, my gut feeling. It just, it's a bit uncomfortable to read about that kind of, kind of shit. I don't necessarily mind people talking shit. I just... Yeah, you know, the, the author of that essay was nice on Twitter to me. I don't want that style of essay encouraged. Like, not in the sense of what it's about, but, like, literally just the writing style. It, this needed a second draft. Just to finish this up, to give, to give credit where it's due, the author of that essay, um, I, I made a post about it, about that essay, and how I, I didn't like it, because I think there's more important shit to uh, talk about in the SSF community, and um, and I think talking about the Eogos is dumb. She was nice. Uh, she actually, sorry, I might be misgendering here, so please cut that. Uh, they were nice. I'm pretty sure, I think she is what I've seen. They were pretty nice, like, you know, is it? I thought it was, uh, I thought she, uh, they identified as they. I'm not sure now, anyway. They were pretty nice to me, so credit what credits do. Like, a lot of times you disagree with people, and they just get irrationally pissed. They, they were graceful. Yeah, I just, it's sort of like, I find it, the argument should be better in the, con like, because it's got tons of room for citations about award trivia, which is for nobody, but it just, it's like, oh, John W. <laughs> Campbell was a racist and fascist, yeah. which, yes, please provide evidence when saying that. Yeah. It is very important to include that part when you say it. I am against that yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even, I don't even disbelieve that. Like, it makes a lot of sense, but, uh, yeah. Oh, no, he, he absolutely is. It's just, like, you gotta... Yeah, just source your shit. It's an essay. It's got room to cite sources about, like, award stats. Yeah, if it had no hyperlinks, I'd get it, but it's like... But yeah, but yeah, my main issue is that, like, the essays... You had room. Yeah. I just think an essay about the Yugos doesn't even deserve to be nominated for Yugo. Like, stop talking about the Yugos like they're the most important award in the world. It just feels so masturbatory. Like, just stop it. Like, talk about something else. Like, there's a lot of shit. Talk about international SFF, for instance. Nobody does. Like, the Yugos are by Americans for Americans. Yeah, it's like how the World Series is just us. Reach out. Yeah, reach out to the rest of the world. Like, don't get stuck on the 3% of native English speakers who produce shit. No, it's like, I couldn't, I had to go look up, like, there's like, oh yeah, and Bob Silverberg too, and they, no point did it even remotely say what he did, which was actually, <laughs> what I remember, not great, kind of shitty actually, but at no point did they say what he did, he's just in there. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you need to put that in there. 
Oh, they do that also. I, it's it's important. Like I'm not. I, I I quite literally want this to do better at what it's supposed to do, which is like this is what he. I mean, I mean, I'm holding a blog post to almost journalistic standards, which I normally would not give a shit. But you got nominated <laughs> for an award that I have to pretend to respect. So exactly no it's saying like uh, you don't need to cite sources and be all academic when you're writing a blog post but if you're getting nominated for yugo like the the standard should be a bit higher or else the yugos just lose i guess their, any credibility they might have i mean this has been coming for but yeah well i, I like how we <laughs> on a, an episode about dialogue i mean it could you never know i mean like the one true constant is change so it could yep. turn into anything else yeah it's, I, we gotta get back on on the rails it's fun to go off so <laughs> i'm not all right, but yeah, you can edit all of this out if it doesn't fit. It's fine. As we just said for several minutes, they don't know how to swear properly. I know how because I'm not a <laughs> dork exactly. Like I did, I did own a graphing calculator in high school, but that I I was required to. I also, but it's like all writers, you know, we are to some degree dorks. That's just part of how you you how this works. But these guys are like Melvins. <laughs> they don't know how to swear. Like if you met them in real life. They would not swear well, because it does have place they go. You can't just say, congratulations doesn't quite track. Like, there's only a couple words that you can stick fuck in the middle of. A very few. Like, absolutely <laughs> is about the only, there's like that and one other one where it works and nowhere else. But it's, these guys did. You know, th- this kind of, this kind of stuff makes me almost believe in the value of bullying. Like, maybe a, a healthy dose of bullying in your high school years can be useful. I'm I'm making a joke before <laughs> I mean this is a joke. Oh yeah, like we are joking. I just I got a bit too cloistered is kinda the the attitude like I kinda wanna know if they went to a school with tuition before college sometimes. Cause it's like Yeah, yeah, I was in a rough school. It's, I mean I went to like schools you had to test into, but it's not the same as like, you know, tuition school. No, I, I was uh, I was in a, a rough school. I almost threw a, a brick at a guy's face, actually, a guy's head when I was a kid. Oh dang! I I did at one I did one semester in the school that was like part of a mental asylum. Like I was I went I got to go home, but it was the school. <laughs> Damn. At the at, at like a juvenile uh, psychiatric hospital, and I it yeah. was it was the kind of place where I am the golden boy to give you an idea of how. How, oh God, that was. Like, I was the good boy. That's how bad it was. Like, they, they were not, nobody was like a dick, exactly. I was the good boy, and y'all have heard me telling a whole story about how I farted next to the president's nephew one time and let him take the blame. So that, yeah, that is the golden boy in this context. <laughs> that was a trip. That was some wild times. Yeah, no, like, I'm a weirdo, and it kind of helps balance out the dorkness. And, uh, yeah, like, the, in their yeah. public identities and stuff, it's, like, 100%, like, plastic nerdery of recent vintage. Like, it's not even... Like, I want to see these guys make a reference that people wouldn't get, you know? <laughs> like, like even if you... If, even to the level of if they brought up Faulty Towers instead of Monty Python, where it's, like, it's still got John Cleese in it, but it's at least a little bit, like, yeah. oh, okay, you've done... You've enjoyed something that was not... Something that wasn't necessarily on a graphic t-shirt. Yeah, it wasn't mainstream. At Hot Topic. Or something like hipsters, but yeah, I agree. I, I don't want to... Like, I, 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 my standards aren't even that high. I just want to see like some kind of signs of life beyond shit that we all have heard of by now. A little bit. Like, it's it's all very, like, <laughs> Star Wars! Harry Potter! I, I, I don't know why I did those in screeches, but you know what I mean. You know, there's a subreddit called Read Another Book. Ah, that's so... Which is making fun of people who keep making Harry Potter references. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I'll never get tired of that joke. It's, it's just fun. 
Because they're still it, until that stops happening, it'll it'll be funny. Ironically, I think um, uh, Rowling is actually uh, Rowling, Rowling, Rowling. Yeah, Rowling's a um, a good example of somebody who writes uh, good dialogue. And I know I'm gonna get shit for this, but she writes good dialogue without falling into the whole uh, quippy reference referential things, like a lot of references and stuff. Like uh, so yeah, it's entertaining, but in a natural way. Obviously, a bit obsolete. Yeah. Now I guess, but uh, but yeah, people, people. Th- there's something to learn from like all the authors that uh that people. Yeah. Even if they hate them nowadays, there's something to learn from that. Like that, they, they, it was p- very popular for a reason. It could it could stand to be faded out now, but I like even as a fantasy fan, I'm like. But uh, you know the whole read another book thing. Yeah, like the lamest one of the lamest versions of magic and witches in anything. But so I'm just like, can we kind of move on from it? <laughs> like it had its time. She has enough money. Just just let it die. You know, I wonder if in in the in, in the Harry Potter world, people in uh, Rome, like in uh, in ancient Rome, kept casting spells accidentally by just speaking shit oh that would be so maybe they had to say it in another language too i think that in those in those chicago wizard books i think the rule is it has to be a language you don't speak so it'll sound cringy and fake well that makes sense like i think that's the joke like you can use whatever you just have to not know it or some (laughs) I, i have not read them i just only get i only get bits of them from context that people bring up so i i could be very wrong i only know yeah like for all i know everybody in that is always talking about like you know the bears and deep dish pizza and i, I wouldn't know the difference yeah I, I think the the guys from chicago i heard that uh yeah. and to wrap this little part of it up like the important thing to remember is the only episode of buffy that ever got even nominated for an emmy was the one where all the characters shut the fuck up there's a lesson there <laughs> Anyone out there listening can do better than, like, oily, toothless attempt at banter that's frequently written by, like, these sex pest hacks. I believe our audience can write better dialogue already, like, especially if they put a little, like, you know, put a little elbow into it. I do, I do think we can do better. I can imagine the, the audience of this podcast is already at a pretty high level. I guess it's going to be mostly writers. People interested in, you know, the mechanics of writing, so they're probably already pretty good. It's a privilege to have, like, a, a smart audience. It's true. We have an audience that is very, very good. They're, they're fun. I like them. <laughs> Let's travel along to that next bit. And this is one that is as big, if not bigger, in science fiction as well. I kind of conflate these a little bit because science fiction and fantasy are sort of... Like, they're on the same shelf for a reason. They're not that different outside of a few things. And especially back in the day when they used to yeah. overlap and that was kind of yeah. more fun. You know, it's fun because uh, uh, science uh, fantasy fans are going to be like, yeah, I agree, and shrug at uh, what you just said. Uh, hardcore science fiction fans are probably grinding their teeth now and punching the... Ah, oh, they're getting so mad. They're like, how dare you? Why? What the <laughs> fuck, dude? But fortunately, their science fiction fans are, you know, they, they'll get pissed, but they're chill. So they're just going to grind their teeth in silence and you're not going to be... You're not going to get hate for it. Oh, they can get real. I mean, as long as I'm doing that, Elon Musk sucks. And we'll just move on. Just to give them a dose of that anger. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get right into this this last bit of how people keep fucking up. Fantasy and science fiction has some of the most unlubricated exposition you will ever encounter. Just right in there. No attempt at making it sound like anything but straight out of wiki feet. Ah, it's just so, (laughs) it's so weird. Like, if you put it in the prose, this would be maybe not the worst. But when a guy has to speak on it, and they don't 
there's no restraint. It's just like I'm yeah. gonna give you a bunch of paragraphs explaining how an uh, FDL drive works. I think uh, I think it's a bit better nowadays too. Fortunately, for one dumb reason, which is that uh, you know traditional publishing is getting even more competitive than it already used to. So now the um, what's the expression? Entry barrier? Is that is that a thing? Entry barrier? You know, uh, whatever. The gate. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, the gate. You know, it's harder to get in now. So agents and editors are um, are aware of these you know these problems so so they usually the, the writers nowadays i'm damn i'm not sure if i might get shit for this but i think writers nowadays are better on average like all uh, all across the um, the industry you have a lot of things yeah the pros at least like matters more than it used to i could make the argument in either direction i'd have to read some more recent stuff to get a feel for how yeah because i'm this is some vintage complaining from a lot of my experience but we got to get into it yeah oh no there, there's more there's also there's also problems that there didn't used to be like the quippy thing yeah like the quippy thing didn't used to be a problem like in print you don't need to have a guy explain to a second guy as the mode of exposition it can just be there and in a lot of like one of the reasons like you do need to read the old stuff is <laughs> a lot of the times they'll just in the pros be like oh yeah this guy son of such and such etc and then you're done and it's there and it's information that's relevant yeah and it helps, and it's fine, and some, and and if they're really good, they'll make yep. it fun to read that, like that whole part of um, Moby Dick, where it's just a whole chapter about like whales, where it's just like one, they're fish, two, uh, I don't know, yeah, no, like it, they're, they're mammals. Technically, they're, Melville's they're, like they're mammals. Yeah, but, but yeah sorry, yeah, I know, I'm kidding. Just, like, these are fish. Just being an and ass, also, yeah. here's all the <laughs> shit about whales, guys, and he just starts listing whale facts, and it's like, <laughs> all right. Cool. I got you. I feel you, man. One of the best um, <laughs> films for this in recent at, at exposition, Mad Max Fury Road did it so well, and we all saw it, and people still fucking it up after that. Yeah. Like, you just got handed an object lesson in how this is actually supposed to be done, and yet, I mean, it's not the only way, but it's like a, yeah, like, you just get this uninterrupted text, and it's not about anything except, like, how a thing works which i just yeah ayn rand used to do it with character philosophy all the fucking time and it ain't i i it's not any better when anybody else mm -hmm. is doing it i just break this up man it's gonna clog the toilet it is too much shit at once <laughs> i i kind of hate this advice because it's so vague in how it's stated but it's like killing a darling but the darling kind of sucked in the first place like they're not willing to get like trim this down <laughs> what are the relevant parts? Or why is this being spoken at all? Yeah, yeah. Like, you could have put this on a chart. Yeah, cutting's really important in general. Just put a chart in the story. It's fine. Hard to learn. Hard skill to learn. Or, like, even if you come up with the explanation, you can have that and then work from it to have guys be funny about it instead of explaining it directly. That that, that That's already an improvement. There's so many ways to fix this, but it's just, like, an unbroken <laughs> giant... And I, I don't... I, I, I'm just going to compare it to poop. It's like a big turd just sticking out of the water. And like, how is this going to go down? <laughs> Anyone's brain is like, it's like there's a pipe. Uh, what a colorful metaphor. And it has a certain width and the information has to move in addition to just being there. So if you use too much at once, that's why it's called like an info dump, an expo dump, etc. It's just being dumped and it hasn't even been processed. It's like if you went to a restaurant and they just put ingredients on your plate. And they're like, make the sandwich out of this. Yeah. I, Going to a seashore yeah, no, sushi but like, restaurant. No, they didn't even put it that. in the seaweed. It's just like, here's the seaweed. <laughs> here's the rice. We didn't even put the stuff that makes it sticky in yet. And here's some fish chunks. Make it yourself, kid. Like, if they did that and expected <laughs> you to 
to pay them full money. Yeah, here's some here's some raw fish. If they weren't even making it for you. Like, you know, like if you go to a gas station to get nachos, you kind of have to assemble them yourself, but you get gas station prices instead of like being charged the full price of the book when you got to put the cheese on yourself. It's like <laughs> it's cheaper cuz you got to do that. Yeah, I know. I know it's tough. Um, I I get why I get why writers do it because you know it's the in literary fiction you don't need any world building or anything. So and, uh, yeah, with SFF it's it's an added difficulty. I don't do any world building uh, via dialogue for the most part. I don't like it. There's a good there's a good essay about this stuff. Someone in the Discord showed me that I'll probably try to remember to put in the bio on the topic wider, but it's like. Yeah, like, to use a much less disgusting metaphor, you just get, like, a huge chunk of a prophecy or, like, the explanation about how the spaceship works or something. And in general, exposition is kind of like trying to put pills in somebody's applesauce. But there's a way of it, and it has a history (laughs) that is very specific to, like, there's a reason. Oddly enough, tying back to the Hugos. Hugo Gernsback loved this part of the story. So if you wanted to get published in his magazine, which I still forgot to look up because I'm spacey, but we know which one it is. I'm uh, pretty sure it's amazing. It, uh, you know what? Let's check. Let's. Yeah, I think it is. Not sure though. So if you wanted to get in, in amazing stories back in the day, like having a big unprocessed chunk of this shit just right in there, not even nothing. Just it's there, naked and way too proud of itself. I mean, the thing to do if if, if you're the reader yeah. is just skip when you see it because it's like it's probably not gonna be yeah it's kind of the reason i bounce off a lot of hard sci-fi is they get way too obsessed with the explanations i kind of like it but uh but yeah but i don't know why because i don't even understand half of what they're saying i have zero scientific education like kim stanley robinson is one of my favorite authors and he does these pages long explanations of technical stuff and it makes me feel smart even though i don't know no idea what he's saying the social sci-fi guys figured out, like, H.G. Wells and subsequent people who know how he works, that the explanation is, in fact, there to lend credibility to the events. It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to get people to buy in. It's a buy-in. Yeah. And in Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide, the explanations are all obvious bullshit. Yeah. Like, it's not whether they're true or false. It's like that the explanation, if you want <laughs> to know, is just nonsense. Every time, for every phenomenon, it's like... Like, it turns out, because if you've just read the first one, everyone's going to be like, okay, what's the fastest ship in the universe? It's the Heart of Gold. Duh. No, that's the second. First one is the Bistromat, which is a replica of, like, one of those faux Italian restaurants with the checkerboard tablecloths. Like, very chintzy. And on the inside, it is powered by the math you do on the restaurant check. That is how it is powered. Its propulsion is faster (laughs) than the improbability drive, just by doing restaurant math. With, like, little animatronic guy waiters. Nice. Like, it's somehow even faster with that as it's, like, it, it's all stuff like that where it's just obvious bullshit. And, like, because it, it doesn't matter what's here at all. And that's the joke. Like, every, over and over. Like, the explanation doesn't matter. And it's just, I find it, I it, it's really fun. Because you can kind of just, you can go wild on it. Like, hard sci-fi gets a little bit like, hey, instead of having this fun thing, we're going to have a more boring version of it. And then be very tedious about how we deploy it instead of letting you have fun. I think that's fortunately also better nowadays. Like, uh, I wouldn't say that hard sci-fi has fallen out of fashion, but... Um, it has kind of migrated to movies. For instance, uh, you don't have a lot of magazines focused on hard sci-fi anymore. I think there's analog. There's analog, basically. I always check out of Christopher Nolan stuff. I do not care about this explanation at all, man. <laughs> there's an audience for it. I mean, I even have enough scientific literacy to kind of follow along sometimes. Why am I here 
why has this story been interrupted by a TED talk? I mean, it's a personal gripe and it's <laughs> like they're going to be, it, it, it's all taste at the end of the day. That has been a problem in this for a while where it's like, in narrative, it's not the most important thing. I really don't like those Brandon Sanderson essays about how magic is supposed to work for this kind of reason. Yeah, it's video gamey. I don't I don't mind his systems. I think they're fun. But uh but I, I also lean on the soft side of the hard versus soft magic systems. I prefer the you know soft magic. If it didn't have to be explained Well, he is good you know, I The whole fundamental notion of his ideas of the laws of magic is that hand holding makes it smarter and why that's wrong should be obvious from like just the premise. Like leading the reader through by the nose. Yeah, I think it does it. It does it well though. Like, um, I, I just he seems like the kind of like the one guy who liked the midichlorians. Like to give an idea of why this is. <laughs> I mean, I don't even hate hard magic. It can be very good. I disagree slightly with you there because uh, I think Brendan Sanderson's uh, very good at doing the hard magic. I, I've only read Mistborn, so I don't know how he does it in Stormlight. But uh, I don't think in, um, that in Mistborn that the explanation shoe, uh, you know, shoehorned in like it, it's done, it's done gracefully. Like uh, it, it didn't bore the read with that. Like it does have a few, as you know, uh, instances here and there, but it's okay. Actually, Sanderson's one of the authors I admire the most for a dumb. It's not my favorite by far this is not my style but uh i admire sanderson in that he's not a naturally talented writer and i'm not being condescending here i'm just saying um you know you get all these writers who've been good since they were kids sanderson i think he wrote like 11 13 books before he got uh agented and published his prose is there you know it, it exists like it doesn't do anything more than that his characters are in Mistborn, they were mediocre, apart from this one specific character, which I love, called Seizad. It's a dude who collects religions. Um, and, you know, his characters are there, his prose is there, like, everything is just, uh, you know, it, it works, I guess. It's workman, so to speak. But uh, that's why I admire him, because his, he made it by brute forcing, you know, brute forcing talent, so to speak. Like, he learned everything from scratch. He grinded a lot, he worked a lot, and uh, people love his books. And, uh, you know, I actually admire him more than I do Rothfuss, for instance. Like, Rothfuss is naturally talented. Like, he's got great prose. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I think he's got great prose. He's got a, an, you know, a natural knack for writing interesting shit. You can see that he's very lazy compared to Sanderson. Even if you just looked at their outputs, that would be, that would be like, true. Like, Sanderson did work. Yeah, yeah, even if we, yeah, we could just go there, but, uh... It's the question of influence in the genre. We could just go there, for sure. Like, my enjoyment of a yeah. writer is part of my opinion, but then I turn to, okay, what did they do to the rest of it? Yeah. Like, what are the ripples in the pond from you? No, Sanderson does have a huge influence on the on new writers, of course. It's so boring, is the problem. Like, I just, it doesn't, it's quite literally this, I mean, this is kind of like the whole, the problem in, like, that sort of CinemaSins nitpick style of criticism, where someone's completely ignored any academic tradition instead of just being petty. Yeah. Like, it's a thing where it's like, I'm gonna be petty and dumb about it. Yeah. And then you have to write around my petty dumb boy shit. Like, the dumbest guy complaining about how something isn't realistic. <laughs> yep. Has all of this hedging made anything more... I, I don't know. It's just not fun. Like, magic is fun partially because it's like, oh, shit, it's magic. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about measuring it in... Well, it's sort of like the problem is, like, the, the people advocating this approach are kind of on 
almost not who a fantasy writer is. There is a difference between like if because I I'm, I I did yeah. have my whole they're kind of the same genre thing, but there are two different kinds of nerds, and fantasy is mostly for the humanities dorks. Like if you're a science guy, mm-hmm. you gotta wow me. Yeah, yeah, they are blending now. They are blending nowadays. Also, fortunately, like a tedious guy trying to apply tedium to dragons. You know, like as the feeling taking the fun out. Dumbing yeah. it down yeah, I get while what you mean. flattering a particular yeah, I get what kind you of guy who thinks he's smart because he understood something that was handed to him. Like, very... Not the guy himself. It's it's like the way that the... the... I would say, though, that I think uh, it actually... Um... I've seen Hard Magic be great. The style... The, these essays do not help you get there in a way that's like... Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a room for both approaches. I prefer Soft Magic, but I also like Hard Magic. I'm cool with it. So, you know, I like Brendan Sanderson's stuff. I don't love it. Maybe I love Stormlight, and I heard that it's really good, and that it improved a lot. Yeah, I sometimes I, I I will nope out of trying somebody because I saw an essay that did the rounds, and I'm like, oh uh, no, I avoid I avoid reading I avoid reading criticism reviews etc. Nowadays, uh, it influences me. Yeah, it's like that thing where like Chuck Wendig's porn essay, like if he was a normal writer, I would have probably passed on him for that. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. That, that's the reason. Like, uh, I can't, I can't read this shit now. Yeah. Yeah, I can't read this shit now because I keep thinking about the porn essay. So that that's one example. That's why I avoid. You know, I actually, I avoid following writers I like on social media, for instance. That could be smart. That it's never happened to me that uh, you know, a writer I love that my opinion improved when I saw his shit on social media. Like that's never happened to me. So if I if I follow someone on social media, odds are I'll start liking that person less. Unfortunately. Yeah. I... So. Pfft. I should just stop doing it. Yeah, I, I kind of, sometimes I even get a little too much into the whole, like, I look at the influence, and if it makes people adopt bad habits, I'm like, maybe I need to sort of correct things by taking, like, where my opinion might be ambivalent, my stated thing is going to be more like, yeah, no, this guy can eat a dick. Because I, I, I want it excised mm-hmm. as a habit, so I kind of have to be <laughs> like, somebody's got to say it. I, I I love I love I love everybody. Sometimes, like when I put my critic hat on, I'm I'm just like, okay, <laughs> what can I say that will improve things? Because sometimes, like I don't think a nuanced like, hey, this doesn't always isn't gonna work for yeah. some, especially on the newer end of writers. Like sometimes you kind of just uh, this thing can get taken too far, where people t- put their personal preferences down to laws of the universe. Like if you remember that hundred tweet thing from a little while ago, yeah, yeah, that had like a bunch of nonsense rules. Oh, um, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, I, we don't need to litigate that at all, but it was just like, yeah, it can turn into that, so I try not to get <laughs> too, like, I try to stick to stuff like, oh, yeah, th- th- these this this take on magic is going to make you write it worse, so maybe maybe wait to read it for a while, or something like that, or just like where I would, li- I would like it <laughs> if I could get a crop of fantasy writers for a few, like a generation or two, who just didn't touch Tolkien. Just, just let him go into the obscura bin again. Oh, we got, we got that nowadays. Fortunately, um, you know, no. Kind of, yeah. Like, thank the movies as much as they, they kind of did. I don't think people read the books so much anymore. So it's, it's solving itself slowly. Yeah, and it's not even that. It's that uh, we got a lot of non-Western writers now. Uh, they're still diaspora writers, so they're still very Americanized. But you know, because you know, when you, when you speak English, if you speak English as a native language, you're Americanized or Anglicized to a certain point. Period. Like, there's no way to avoid that. So it's the problem isn't solved yet, but we do have 
people who immigrated from other countries or people who were born in non-Western cultures. So we do get a lot of, you know, non-Western fantasy. Like for instance, I read a Poppy War recently. Um, I wasn't a big fan, but it's a, but it's good. And, uh, you know, it's inspired by Chinese history. And uh, it, it does feel a bit Westernized to me. I'm guessing, the, I'm guessing the author immigrated when she was young to probably America. People aren't very keen on the Tolkien stuff nowadays. There, there is some, but like, but it's far from, um, from being the rule. I think like actual modern fantasy, like from the last ten years or something. There isn't a lot of talking inspired stuff anymore. Like Lord of the Rings is kind of snoozy, but my gripe at this point would be like if it reads. My favorite's The Hobbit, actually. Oh, same, hard same. It's Smile's a better villain. It's done at a reasonable speed. But yeah, like people who are like, yeah. if you, if anybody who out there who wants an adaptation of the Silmarillion, stop it. No, no, just no. Yeah, I just stop with adaptations altogether. Unless you want to adapt my books, in which I'd, I'd appreciate it. But apart from that, just stop with adaptations, period. I know, but you, uh, yeah, that kind of thing specifically, where it's like, we're working from liner notes instead of something that was narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've been going for a while. I gotta I gotta keep going. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have to skip the Aaron Sorkin part? Oh, yeah, as fun as that is, like, I'll just leave it very quickly. This is what happens when we digress. But uh, very, as an aside, he is as much of a fantasy writer as Rothfuss or whoever else. It's just like, there's no realism there. And we'll we'll leave it there. I had a whole riff about it, but these things happen. And (laughs) all right, that's that's fine. It's for the best. It it was just unmitigated shit talking. And as fun as that is, (laughs) we already did some. It's true. That's why it's fun. Yeah, you know, it's the essence of this podcast. Why lead me to the red cage when I want the tall white tower? When I want to watch the ocean? When I want to be alone? What's the use of talking when no one tries to talk me down? Where's the point of language when no one can communicate? All right, so and uh, so as we <laughs> yeah, had the fun of being saying what's wrong with things, we now got to offer from the fairness doctrine, even though that's been gone since like 1987. We got to be like, all right, so if you want to write some good dialogue, how are we gonna do that? That that we got to tell people that. So I got my start writing dialogue in middle school theater class. I wrote all the scenes I was in, and two years of having to do that every week gave me a knack for it which i don't know if i was born with but it does help so i can kind of go through some of the bad versions of a scene in my head now because i'm so used to like yeah okay i have to hammer the beats out of whatever premise i had it's just it's like breathing or riding a bike at this point it's just a thing i know how to do like having to explain it might make it you know my process might be a bit eclectic in that regard that process really helped me figure out like okay I i might have to write this five times to get it right or something or just play it out try it again see what didn't work like, a very quick eye for that is, is, is if you have to do enough, like, original theater class stuff, it can it can do a lot of good. Yeah, yeah, you have great dialogues, yeah. And also, I watched a lot of stand-up when I was a kid. Like, a lot, I was a big comedy nerd for a while, and that, that helped. Where do you think your dialogue chops came from? Because you're pretty good. Like, you, your, your dialogue works. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm still looking for those chops, but, you know, thank you again. I'd say that, uh, like any other skill, it's just imitation and grind. You know, I have a, I think I have a more of, more self-awareness regarding the whole learning process 
more self-awareness than other writers because again to bring it up i'm not a native speaker so i you know i'm aware of every step of the way i've been through this in portuguese and when you repeat things in another language you kind of see where the gears fall again if i had one piece of advice to say with uh, to share with other writers I'd say don't lean on your strengths. Like uh, a lot of writers, for instance, have great prose, so they lean on that, and then they only write fancy, stylistic, plotless stories, which is fine, by the way. I love those. Like uh, Thomas Ligotti is one of my favorite writers, and he, he clearly hates the concept of having a plot or even characterization. And I love it, just pure aesthetics. You made one of our listeners very happy with that name drop, so... Yeah, good. Yeah, Ligotti is brilliant. Top of the game. But anyway, yeah, it's never good to be a one-trick pony. When you're good at something, don't just be good at that. Like, for instance, my I feel at ease with the world building. It's what I like to do the most. It's like doing weird world building, creating grotesque shit. And so, for for, uh, for a while, I guess I, I depended on that. Like, uh, I leaned heavily on that. If you stay in your comfort zone, you don't evolve. I used to have a hard time with dialogue. I still do, depending on the context. So I've just been writing stories that are centered on dialogue, that don't work without it. Like, for instance, my last story on Strange Horizons, uh, Utheka, was an exercise in how to move the plot uh, via dialogue. I, I try to stop depending on pretty turns of phrases, blah, blah, blah. So that's it. Just write dialogue. Write whatever you find it hard to write. If it's characterization, write stories based on characterization. If it's plot, write stories that move very quickly. Like Just write whatever you find hard. So I write dialogue because I find it hard. I think there are also two possible approaches to writing dialogue. There's a scale between these approaches. I think you can try to be naturalistic. You can just try to make the dialogue sound like you would in real life or you can try to be entertaining being stylistic like when we talked about the quippy thing it falls heavily on the stylistic part of it like it's there the the the, the reader knows it's not real it doesn't sound real it's uh, it's entertaining then you have uh, authors who write like a hundred percent like people speak which is also a valid approach i guess i think it's good to try and find a balance like you you look at Tarantino. Tarantino writes brilliant dialogue, but it doesn't sound real, does it? Yeah, he knows what he's doing. That that's some of the difference. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, as long as just be aware of what uh, what you're trying to do. He is much more studious than Weed never is. Like one one toe of Tarantino is more studious than than Weed's entire thing. Oh, for sure. No, I I don't like Weed. I never did. Like, uh, even 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 when I was a kid, I I always found his stories to be artificial i'm a little too like i missed the i missed the peak firefly firefly is whedon's isn't it firefly yeah i've been sick of the firefly guys like as long as i can remember there being a nerd community yeah no i i i, I never i never watched firefly I'm, I've, I've, I've never been a whedon i you know like i've been annoyed with the guys who like firefly is their vietnam for a long time like it it's Oh, also, also dumb tip, but it works. And, uh, you know, everybody says this, but it really, really have to do it. Just read your dialogue aloud. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've, I've tried a couple of my monologues out. Uh, honestly, read your entire book aloud. But people forget to do that. It's fun. Yeah, it's good to see the, the ebb and flow, etc. Uh, it's been a while since I had to act, so it's uh, I still have to... like Some of it is my performance. Extremely rusty when I do that, but yeah. I've recorded it and played it back. Another tip I might another tip I might have, and it um, it's not strictly about dialogue, but it works for dialogue. Is um, I've noticed that um, readers and myself don't like the characters who pity themselves. So if you wanna, um, how do I put this? If you wanna affect the reader emotionally, you I think it works better 
if the character is being stoic. Big tragic dialogues about how much life sucks and how he's so dev the character's so devastated because his dog got shot in the face or something like a. They don't work as well as trying to hold it in, like a character trying to hold it in, like and you can and you can do that via dialogue also. Oh yeah, like for for me, like my thing is that there are some things that you're not supposed to do, but. If you know what the reaction to those things you're not supposed to do is, and you want to create it, like I have yeah. uh, an, an antagonist in my stuff who constantly yeah. complains. Like that's one of his things. He's just bitching all the time about like people not already liking him. Like it, it's fun. It, it, it <laughs> makes him look like it's like ah oh, that guy's such a dick. So it's fun because I like I'm doing that on purpose because I know how that comes across, and you're playing into that. <laughs> So like there's stuff like like you said like this like if you want the character to be yeah sympathetic there's a point where pity is diminishing return self pity can be a diminishing return but if you want him to suck then him getting sad about stuff that was his own fault yep precisely you can do that and that's that would be my like yes and to that yep for me like if you want to get good at dialogue you got to start reading some plays that's the form where dialogue has to carry it. So that's it's where the emphasis is. It's where all the polish goes. Um, and yeah, and if you can find a performance of it on top of that, because then you can see it in its sort of like platonic ideal and actual existence, and then see sort of the difference between like the idea of the thing and the actual form of the thing, and that can be very helpful because then you can sort of see what was added mm -hmm. by performers and such. Um, and that's that theater is one of the few things you can do that with. Like sometimes you can track down the screenplay of something. But they're not all available that much, so like you have to you got to do more legwork to find it instead of if it's a play because the play will have like the printed script. I do a, I do have a cool website. My 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 cousin's um, a filmmaker and he showed me a cool site. I can show it to you if you want. Oh yeah, we'll leave it in the description for that if you send it to me. Um, like if you want to get started on that, my right. dad was big into Beckett, like Samuel Beckett. That's a good place to start. Uh, yeah, Rossum's yeah. Universal Robots is. Very influential. Yeah, that gets great. Like once you've, if you've ever taken a whiff of it, you'll see it everywhere. Like that one. I don't remember how good the dialogue was because it's been a long time, but it's a fun one. So, but yeah, like you get, it's just you know you read some plays, you see some plays. It's fun. Yeah, it's a good way to write off something that you might have wanted to do anyway, as like educational, which is a, a non-zero amount of writing as a thing. Is yeah. like okay, how can I be? How can I goof off productively? So, you know what I mean? Hello. You there, buddy? Oh, okay, you're there. Right. Yep, you're here. We're fine. Hello? Can you hear me? It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah the audio, the audio chopped off a bit there. Um, okay. Good. I was afraid. Yeah, like, the beautiful thing about dialogue in general is, it's like, you can just do it again. Like, it's one of the things that almost benefits the most from the drafting process. And that's, or at least from my experience, having to write a bunch of it on the fly and do it through memorization, like, it's almost yep. like an oral thing, where I was never writing any of this down, because it's like, no, we're just gonna do it by memory. You will remember, if you have to run the scene ten times, you will remember how to do it the eleventh time. Like, if you're out there in the audience, and you're like, ah, my dialogue yep. sucks, it's like, you don't have to believe in you. You don't have to believe in yourself yet. Like, you can believe in me. Believe in the Sid Usley who believes in you. <laughs> like, anybody out there, I really do think you can write some fucking great dialogue. You just gotta try, <laughs> and then keep on trying. Yeah, on my, uh, I actually think you can't, and you should just give up. Like to the audience, might as well. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Um, you know, just to counterbalance your positive. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> counterbalance your positive. Yeah. Okay. So, Mario, um, audience needs to know this. Where can all the Mario heads find your work? The audience demands more Mario. There's never enough Mario. Yeah, I agree. There is. Um, okay, so I don't have a website yet because I'm a fucking idiot and I haven't. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta get on that website and mails later and then delete all my social media and blah blah. Anyway, so if you copy paste my name into Google and write Pseudopod or Strange Horizons or Southern Fugitive, oh god, I just Southern Fugitive, right? Yeah, Southern Fugitives, I think. Um. Something's bound to come up. You know, just write my name and Strange Horizons, Southern Fugitives, or Pseudopod, and you're going to find one of my stories. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I guess we can just put the link on the bio. It's um, at M-S-E-A-B-R-A-C-O-E-L-H-O. Wow, I nailed that. You know, I was afraid of having to spell shit in English. Pretty sure no listener's going to bother to type that. I wouldn't, but if you want to follow me on Twitter... Uh, you can do that. If, I gotta warn you though, eventually my Twitter's gonna be nuked. I mean, that's fun. How long will it last? I actually hate Twitter to death. It is a fun game to play. Until my book's out. Until, yeah, until my book's out and my mail's letter out. And then when I got, a, you know, when I got fans on Instagram sending me sexy selfies. Uh, yeah, everybody send Mario butts. I'll, that's a sign that I, I, I can just delete Twitter. All about that ass, this guy. Yeah, please, I'm a butt guy. <laughs> so... Thank you. Oh, yeah, no, I got. I, I'm gonna be on Podside <laughs> Picnic soon. Like, uh, we're gonna be talking Castle in the Sky, which is a great little movie with a lot of fun shit to talk about. Oh, it, cool! It's a banger. So watch that movie. Yeah, it is. I might even recommend that more than seeing me talk about it, but it's it's a good one. So yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. If you had a good time, consider encouraging our bad behavior by signing up for the Patreon over at patreon.com slash writegood. Do that, and you can swing on by the Discord. We do group writing sessions, give feedback, get feedback, all that art class shit. Great. Tune in next time. We're going to talk about how to write for young audiences without talking down to them. Until then, remember to drink your Ovaltine and stay weird. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Usurped by Sid Usley and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media, LLC. Edited by Sid Usley. Intro music by Simon Magus and the Radical Scamp. Outro theme by Surgery Head. No Raquels were harmed in the making of this episode. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. For death threats, demand for feet pictures, or if you're the kind of pervert who has actual feedback, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That's R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, put some coins in the guitar case over at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs>